Good morning, Richmond. Thank you for joining us for another edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Today, Jesse, Fran, and myself, Melissa, will be discussing and filling you in on some updates for some hot topics that are floating around the city right now. Let's go ahead and get into it, shall we? All right. So welcome to today where we have a lot of stuff to catch up on with hashtag RVA politics, even yeah. though it is August, so there aren't really a lot of meetings. Well, and also... You know, city council for this month is canceled and mm-hmm. all of their committee meetings there are canceled. I looked at the, the city council website and every single meeting they yeah. have is canceled because it's very difficult. It's, it's actually on vacation. It's honestly a little bit like they finally listened to every time that we said you're canceled. Yeah. This is like <laughs> a waste of our damn time. Anyway, so we have a couple items to talk about. Uh, we're going to actually set the infamous timer with when the timer ends. I'm feeling by the seaside playing. Okay. All right. So this one's going to be 25 minutes to start because it's a big topic. It's right. a big topic. And then we'll roll into some smaller topics to get everybody caught up and ready for September. Smaller, but no less frustrating. Topic one, we're going to talk about uh, about a week ago, the actual report from the Carver Elementary investigation into the potential for, well, not any potential anymore, of the SOL cheating ring was actually released. So in case you missed it, basic summary is cheating affirmed. But we want to be very clear before we start talking about this. This is not the students that were cheating. Nope. This was the principal mm-hmm. and teachers. And again, not all teachers. Only 10 teachers were named in the report. Yeah. Right. So this stain is group. not on elementary school kids. Yeah. The kids, the, 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 these kids, because of the time that this principal has been installed at the school, many of these kids, this is the only process that they actually know for taking SOLs. And we'll go a little bit more in depth in that when we get into it. But it's not the kids' fault. And I hate all these headlines that say cheating kids or the cheating at Carver. You need to call it what it is it's not these kids stop demonizing these kids yeah and i think that we're going to dive right on into some of these statements this is a 34 page document is what was released well wait before we let's give a little background first because people may not understand or may not know so let's give a, a teeny bit of background carver traditionally if you look at some of the graphs that are available in this report and we'll tell you guys where to find it initially the schools richmond public schools there's a chart that shows you where they fall and then according to the state and carver is you know always has always been either below or right at where um, rps ranks or either under where other schools in this area rank in nationally or statewide so our state when this new principal came in within i think within a year the testing scores had I mean, almost like a 70% jump. It was just a straight up skyrocket. Oh, uh, yeah. It like, was a it skyrocket. Was, it, it was amazing. It to went see. from 40% to 98% passing rate. And the, the principal was given the Distinguished Leadership Award, yep. very celebrated for her role in raising the test scores, Yes, ironically. And, now. What, and, and she, by scores being high, of course, she applied for blue ribbon status, which the school did get. I mean, how ballsy um, is that, though? Like, yeah, like, let's just pause. Uh, you know, I didn't realize this necessarily. So Carver Elementary, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, they got blue ribbon, national blue ribbon winner. I think it was 2015 or 2016, if I remember. And everyone was so excited about it. I didn't realize that literally you have to apply for that status. It's not like VDOE looks and says, hey, look. And, you know, with the test scores that Carver's had in the past few years, they were 
in competition for elementary schools in the top three. So they would yeah. be in the top scores with like Mary Munford and Fox Elementary, which are two of the standard schools that you think of when you think of, first of all, white people, but also high test scores. Yeah. Right. And that's what made Carver, that's, I think that's what made it stand out. These were kids that were in primarily public housing, minority students, and they were blowing these tests out of the water. Now, what initially sparked the interest for VDOE to come in was the fact that the tests actually changed in 2015. And so they know by previous years that when they change the math testing, you should see a dip in the test scores. And instead of seeing the normal dip that we saw everywhere else, Carver kept those scores up just as high as they were the, ne the year before. And that's when they started asking questions. Now, you know, that said, that's the VDOE side of it, of them making their investigation. And I know most recently that sparked this specific true investigation was the new superintendent, Jason Camrus, talked to them and was like, y'all need to look at this. Because for the past several years, there have been rumors and chatter about people talking about kids coming from Carver and going into Albert Hill Middle and Can't not read. being able to read. And I was always kind of wondering, like, couldn't we just look at Albert Hill's SOL scores? And it, 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 yeah. it was very frustrating because it felt like a very taboo subject where people didn't want to say, hey, I think there's cheating going on. Because then you get to this whole place of a, a very racially charged conversation of, yeah. well, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that you think they're cheating because they're black kids that grew up in the projects? Mm -hmm. Right. It's sticky. It was super sticky. People were honestly kind of broach. If you talked about it, everyone kind of just looked at you like, don't bring that up. Yeah. And, you know, I think even with the National Blue Ribbon Accreditation, you look and see, yeah, we talked about it. We were excited about it. Some people celebrated. They took photos. But mm -hmm. I, I think people knew. Like, there wasn't some huge citywide. Well, you had teachers. You had some people in the school that decided to speak up. And I think you had somebody that just kind of came forward and said, hey, there's an issue. There's like a personal issue with this. And I think that kind of, you know, got us a little further into this investigation. And then what I found interesting in this report, most of all, was the fact that the teachers that were involved, they all just kind of said, well, this is what we were told to do. And this is what we did. We want to keep our job. This is what we did. Bless the principal's heart. She lied to the end. You sit on a throne of lies. Oh my gosh, that she was astounding. Lied. She just lied okay, to before, the before end. Before we keep jumping, let's just dive in from the beginning of let's it go. then. Now that we've got the background, so <laughs> before we get to the astounding part. Like, what? What? So, first of all, there were student interviews. The way that VDOA did this is like, this is the most thorough investigation. Oh, wait a minute. No, we gotta, we gotta give the rest of So, the school, once, once the VDOE came to say that they were gonna retest, then you had people go out into the neighborhoods and tell the parents who did were not knowledgeable before, your kids don't have to take the SOL, so you don't have your kid does not have to come for this retest. Don't ruin their summer. Yeah. Opt out. Yeah, opt out of the SOL. And so you had I think it's in here somewhere. Seventy percent like, of students opted out of the seven test. Seventy percent of the students opted out. That's astounding. So I think, now I think can... what's very heartbreaking about that also though is that First of all, I don't agree with standardized testing, and mm -hmm. I, I think all parents should absolutely know that you can opt your child out. Mm -hmm. You Doesn't don't affect have their to. ability to graduate or move on to another grade. Right. No, and I think that we really need to scrutinize, you know, standardized testing, period. But what I do have a problem with is, no, I don't like children being penalized for things that adults do. But by the same token, it, these kids are being used as pawns. Yep. They're oh, being 100%. used as pawns in saying, like, hey, you know, now we're going to do this concerted effort of allegedly teachers were out knocking on doors. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, um, someone with the PTA w admitted 
limited to standing outside the school with information. Um, And all of the papers were returned. So imagine you send out papers that parents can sign to opt your kid out and 70% of the papers got came back to the school in three days and it was and this is the part that's heartbreaking to me that's a blitz is yes it was the highest by far like in the report it cites like mm-hmm. teachers and pan- teachers saying this is the most the highest response we have ever had for anything anything that <laughs> anything. gets sent home to kids yeah it, they came and back in three days for me i just think about the enrichment tr- opportunities mm-hmm. the the number of different programs opportunities that kids have that you know maybe we wouldn't be looking at a cheating scandal if this is the level of investment because to me it's like at the end of the day we have to figure out where to go from here and mm-hmm. to me this says to me that teachers have a huge teachers in the PTA have a huge room to influence uh-huh. how yeah. the community engages with the school and it and is unfortunate this is the place where they decided to, to use yeah can power. you imagine if all those teachers went out and door knocked to get the parents to agree to mm-hmm. kids doing after school enrichment mm-hmm. it, amazing right that yeah. you, they you had showed up this to, much power you to, showed up can we say the a word you showed up to cover your donkey and you went and knocked doors to get these parents to opt the kids out but think about if you put that effort to you know getting your getting this kid in your class just going to one house that one kid in your class that's right. not doing his homework you just showed up to his house one time and then i also think about maybe teachers would want to do that if we paid them appropriately right oh yeah, no that's always a, i'm a teacher advocate my mom's a teacher oh, yeah. i'm always for that but the the amount the level of cover my donkey that went on to to get these kids to to not take this sol it's astounding but go ahead let's get with these stats go yeah ahead. so um the <laughs> things that the vdoe did this is honestly if i want an investigation i'm gonna ask the vdoe can you guys investigate this because it's wild it's like every time i had a question it was like next page there answered. it is first they actually interviewed the students and i have a couple of choice statements here um they interviewed third fourth and fifth graders which are the only students that take these tests and you know i really want to start here just because i think it really underscores that the kids are the victims mm-hmm. that you have to remember these are not students that are going in having an idea like hey you're in middle school you know how an sol is supposed to be run no No. this is the only process that the way that this they've run this process at this school is the only way this process has ever been presented to some of these kids there they were shocked when it changed when the vdoe came they didn't know what was going on they didn't know why it was that so one of the quotes miss cartwright read it and it was science to me if it was a hard question she said hit review she showed me how to do it how to do one she drew a picture for me at a previous school, my teacher didn't read the paragraphs. Miss Cartwright was more helpful. For science, this is another student. For science, she, Miss Golds, had to help a little bit by reading a word I didn't know. If there was something I didn't know, but it was in my brain, she gave me a hint. Another one was Miss Nelson didn't check my work the second time I took the test, which is when the VDOE was there. She said, read the screen. I did better the first time with Miss Lacey. The way that teachers were doing this basically is they were telling kids, biggest part of it was stop when this caution screen comes up, which yeah. is like before you submit this, the check your work. Screen. And so it was like, raise your hand and look at the teacher and the teacher will come look at your stuff. Yeah. So the VDOE in the report. Each teacher had their own process to alert the kid. Not everybody would say your answer's right or your answer's wrong. You had teachers that were smiling or frowning or you should review that one. Or let's look at this one again. So it wasn't as if they were directly telling the kids, this answer's wrong, try again. It was very, very... Subtle. Subtle for these kids. so sneaky, y'all. So sneaky. So it's not even what kids are... Kids are going to perceive it as helpful. You're helping me. Yeah, you're helping Mm -hmm. me. And 
you know, the, the, the biggest, I just can't imagine what the VDOE was like when they came in. The VDOE observed the second tests for all 30% of the kids that took them. And when they get to the caution screen in the investigation, it reads things like multiple students turned and looked at the teacher, raised Raise their, their hand. hand. Yeah. And so, like, the VDOE is probably sitting there, and the teacher, and each time, the teacher didn't react. Right. And on one of the teacher investigations, they actually asked the question of, okay, so why didn't you respond to the children when the VDOE was in the room? And the teacher's like, I don't have an answer for that. Don't have an answer. Because you knew it was wrong. Yep. Yep, they had conditioned them previously. To do that. To do that. And now, you know. (laughs) somebody's watching to me it was just like i put myself in the kids shoes of thinking you just came from the school where you were celebrated as some of the smartest kids in richmond city and you have all of the confidence in the world and then you go to middle school to albert hill and And all of a sudden your teachers aren't healthy it's not even on that level where you don't even like right i'm I'm just even thinking about practicality of all of a sudden you're failing tests yeah you don't even realize your teachers aren't helping you in mm-hmm. the middle of an SOL. You have no idea why suddenly your abilities have changed. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, why is it that now my teachers, the adults who are here, are refusing to help me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the level of abandonment mm-hmm. that I could imagine, of incomprehensible, the level of just knowing how stacked the system and feeling that when you're that mm-hmm. young. But it doesn't even have to get to SOL. That's something that those kids have been prepared for before that SOL. So you get to the first class, you get to your first class, first test, first whatever it is, because these kids, you you can't have these, and that's that's what I really wanted. The, of course, this report doesn't touch on that, but if you've got kids that are passing the SOLs with flying colors, what do their other report cards look like? Mm-hmm. Are they also padding the grades on the regular everyday tests, quizzes, everything else? You got to be because well, it makes you question everything, and it makes those kids question absolutely everything. And now you've just ruined their trust in teachers. Yeah, and the, the, going back to what Jesse was saying, and so people, now, community, yeah, people in general. Yeah, you now you've got these great grades, and then you get to you know you get to middle school, and it's like these poor little kids are just crushed. It's like, do they want me to fail? Like that's how I would probably yeah. feel. And middle school's already troubling enough for kids. Oh Dear my God, gosh, this is the worst. <sighs> Sorry, middle school. <sighs> teachers and middle school denizens it really is so the they worst didn't time they also <laughs> they also didn't just go off of interviews of course because VDOE is far more fact based good lord Ooh. so they went into and you know we're not going to go through all of these things but they actually took and compared for third fourth and fifth graders the test scores and they actually showed who the examiners were and who the differences were of each one of these items and just the, the level of difference and it also shows how many of the answers were changed for the kids. Corrected, yeah. So going from an incorrect response to a correct response and just how, you know, hey, before VDOE was there, for example, one um, student had 15 mm. questions that changed from incorrect response to a correct response. And their score before VDOE was 506, mm. which passing, I believe, is 500. Which test was it for? They all have different. Oh, sorry. Actually, 400 is this one. Okay, so 400. So it was 506, and this one actually tells you at the top. Huh, VUE, thorough. So had they been over 400, that was passing, and actually anything over 500 is actually passing advanced. So this student was at 506. 15 of their answers went from incorrect to correct response on the first test. On the second test, nothing was changed at all, and their score was 392. So it was six points away from passing. So you went from... Advanced, advanced to not pass to failing. Yeah. There's more than one in there where they go from passing advanced to most of them do actually failing, and you know <sighs> most of them do. I'm looking at the charts now. Mm-hmm. There's one on that chart that doesn't. No, most a lot of them. of them go from that on the third grade one, and yeah, below. 
So it's very clear because, like, if you guys didn't know, um, back in my day, we did uh, SOLs with a Scantron. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now that it's actually on a computer, VDOE can go in and look and see how many answers were changed and look for testing irregularities just based on clicks, which is far more analytical. horrifying, Big Brother-esque, but <laughs> helpful when you're trying to catch this kind of thing. I think yeah. that just speaks to the level of the kid, for example, that went from 15 to nothing changed. They didn't know their answers were wrong on that second test. There was something that was being done to signal to them change your answer so then they even cheated stupid the teachers even cheated stupid don't they fixed all the answers <laughs> like you didn't even have a couple of wrong leave. ones in there you know to spice it up a little bit <laughs> that, and make it look is normal something that blew my mind actually you, so <laughs> you fixed all the wrong answers they got perfect scores well, and Girl. there's ones where if you there's three columns on this thing where it's incorrect to correct response and then correct to incorrect response and then incorrect to incorrect response. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you only going to have answers changed from incorrect to correct? It's just so mm -hmm. you're not even trying. It's, just, it's stupid cheating. Like, it's it is stupid. just really cheated stupid. Really, really Amateurs. dumb. Oh, you are so dumb. You are really dumb. For real. Like, I mean, I'm just, <laughs> really, I'm just really saying. Really super cocky. Well, go ahead. Let's let's finish with the stats on that, and then we'll talk about what these teachers said. That's what I was going to now, actually. Okay. Something I think is also important to note when we talk about the teachers is this is really orchestrated first by the principal. And we talk about the culture of things with the principal. Um, basically, what was happening is there's a test coordinator at every school, and allegedly the principal would only let certain teachers be test administrators, which implies that only teachers willing to play ball in this whole scheme were allowed to proctor tests. Mm -hmm. And they got down to a very small pool of teachers to where they were having to actually break testing regulations. So, for example, if a student needed um, read out loud based on their IEP, their individual education plan, instead of being in a separate room with a separate proctor, they were in a room with other students. Together. Together. And, and not necessarily with other IEP students. No. So they didn't have enough people to test because this is not every single teacher at Carver that's guilty of this. There are statements from the testing coordinator. You know, she she was like the principal was obsessed with the tests. The principal the testing would, committees. Yeah, the principal would text us me late at night with like last minute switches about who was going to administer the tests. I, I just think it's very fascinating that this is a culture that was created by a principal. And it goes on to where they have some of the teacher statements. And I think these should be read. And when I go through a couple of them, this is not just this principal enforcing a cheating scandal. This is what SOL and standardized testing culture does Period. To schools, to schools. And then I'm going to read her responses. Go ahead. I'm fearful for my career. I'm sad for the children. They're not getting what they need. Sometimes you don't want to ask questions because you don't want to get your head knocked off. To me, those are the two biggest ones mm -hmm. um, that really exhibit what the teachers were thinking. And these were teachers that aren't necessarily involved in the scandal. They didn't really identify um, some of these quotes. These were just interviews where people were saying things like, I'm so glad you're here. We knew this. They didn't directly know what was happening, but they did cite things where they could see that their peers who were testing coordinators were very frequently given um, development development opportunities they were given bonuses if there was like positive like not necessarily monetary but other things that were positive for them so they could see and perceive that teachers that were in this inner circle quote mm -hmm. unquote that's a term used in the investigation were getting a lot of good things happening to them but since they weren't in the inner circle they might not have known exactly what was happening but then on top of it there's this level of fear <laughs> where they feel like 
they're if their test scores aren't good enough, they're going to be penalized because they're going to be taken off of testing. They're not going to get these advantages. So, you know, I think there's, while I do think that it's pretty obvious and clear in this investigation that the principal directed people to do this, I do think that those kind of little things, it incentivizes people to cheat, period, even without clear direction from an authority on how to do it or to actually do it. Um, which is the huge issue with standardized testing and really a lot of different performance metrics on things around education. Yeah. But the most astonishing thing, take it away, Fran, with these... I, I just... Look, I, ooh, I'm ready. First of all, I feel so sorry We have Ms. three Joyner. minutes left, by the way. <clears throat> Ms. Okay. Jo- okay, Ms. Joyner is the assistant principal. She's also the, the test coordinator, and that's who you were talking about. She said, you know, it was just rough, and, you know, you just don't want to, you know, bother her with these things because it's an issue. Dr. Yates responded to questions about certain teachers being identified as the inner circle. And she said, anybody in the building is able to administer tests. It doesn't matter who tests them, the students, anybody should be able to administer the test. So you just gonna stick with this lie. Okay. When asked if she removed any teachers from testing due to their student scores, Dr. Yates stated, no, I did not pull anyone from testing because their scores were not good enough. That is legit what you did and in the last two minutes i think the other one that's like the nail in the coffin of this report is that they actually did show the cohort of students that went from carver to Mm -hmm. albert hill middle Mm. so you have students that in their um third fourth and fifth grade they were scoring in like the 70 all the way up to like the 90 and the 100 percent pass rate range sixth grade reading went from 100 percent passing to 36.8 percent people passing (sighs) Into seventh grade, it was at 45% of people were passing. And very similar things with math, where they're in the high 90s of number of people who passed down into the 30s. And actually, one year it goes down into seventh grade, 15% of people passed. Mm. Those kids got screwed so hard. Mm -hmm. And then if you also, they also, again, I told you they're very thorough. They also even looked at, like, the transfers. So kids that went to George Washington Carver and left Carver and went into other schools within the region, at least in Richmond, there's literally 200-point fluctuations Mm -hmm. on tests where people's tests are going from 512, so advanced, down to 320, which Mm -hmm. is nowhere near passing. How did they ever think they would get away with this? And then, you know, they also even, as again, like you even think, well, how do do students transfer? Man, the video is on it. (laughs) They they go in and like look at students who transfer between schools but never went to Carver Mm -hmm. and also went on to middle school. Yeah, there's like fluctuations of like 10 to 20 points. Mm So not 200. Not 200. We have 30 seconds and I'm just angry. Yep. <laughs> me too. We're just going to sit over here and steam I'm for mad. a few I, seconds. The thing, though, that makes me the maddest is the fact that when you look at the recommendations from VDOE, it is to retrain teachers on how to administer the test and provide support for students. But it does nothing to address the fact that teachers need professional development and need to feel like they have an opportunity and the ability to help kids pass these tests, which comes with funding from the state, which is completely mm-hmm. ignored in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, and support for the teachers because you had teachers that felt like they were not going to be heard if they spoke out and would be heard. There we go. I feel sorry for these kids. Kids, if you are out there, keep your head up. It wasn't y'all's fault. Shame, shame, shame. 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 Oh, I'm just angry. I am too. I feel so bad for these kids. Because they're going to forever be that group of kids that got retested that, you know, got Dr. Yates fired. Like, no, she did that to herself. 
Oh boy, you sure are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. So next topic, we're going to run through it quickly. I think Melissa's going to start us out with oh, some okay. affordable housing talk for 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, it's Oops. not going to be affordable now. Well, formally affordable. Formally affordable. All right. So rumor has it that, you know, that crumbling, yucky old quality inn on Broad Street right before you get to Boulevard. Yeah. Looks like uh, Better Housing Coalition is selling that to our favorite skeevy developer Louis Salomonsky and his buddy David White. Hmm. That favorite sheet, that was very sarcastic. I'm yeah. In case oh. you missed a past episode really quick, Lou Salomonsky was in prison for trying to bribe Gwen Hedgepath on a vote. It was a whole thing. Ah, but- like it drives me nuts that he is still <laughs> allowed to do business here. Like people are totally willing to do business with this guy who is shady as all get out. And I don't care if you're listening, man, you're shady. And it blows my mind that people would do anything with you. But hey, whatever. So here's the deal. Uh, Better Housing Coalition uh, managed to get a hold of this building a while ago, and they had a developer on the line, Dominion Diversified. And things didn't go well with that, and they ended up having to settle with them because Dominion Diversified um, accused Better Housing Coalition of basically stealing plans when the deal fell through. And these were supposed- Not basically stealing plans. Well, they blatantly, they blatantly and, and they took the accuse. plans. They blatantly sued. They sued, and they settled. BHC but the big settled. thing is like in the other side of it to not make BHC look like super bad in this whole deal oh. is that BHC they're, they're they're public plans right these were plans that were you know kind of generic like a model generic plan yeah and so it, it's a little fuzzy on both sides but whatever that's that's the backstory with this and the plan was to make affordable housing out of this building so you know units that were between about 700 and a thousand dollars so it's it's not confirmed yet but it's coming it's coming that that Salomonsky and crew are buying this place should close in December-ish his current project in Scott's edition will tell you the direction that it's going. It starts for a one-bedroom unit in his new place, Scott's View, uh, for a little over $1,000 a month for a one-bedroom. So that's going to tell you that this new project probably is not going to have much affordable housing in it. And we're at a point right now where we're scrounging for affordable housing in Richmond. Seriously scrounging. It's... It's come, It's almost like to the crisis point. What are we going to do about it? Is there anything we can do about it? So, and I think that, you know, this is, I get frustrated with this because there has been legislation that is in the um, city council land and housing committee and has mm-hmm. been there for like over a year. And the patron is Ellen Robertson, 6th District Councilwoman, who used to work for um, affordable housing coalitions such as, you know, RHA and et cetera. Yeah. And... 
basically what this legislation would do is it would implement that any any development that is seeking city benefits so like tax abatements would have to have at least 10 percent of the units be considered affordable housing now in all fairness when you dig into the definition of affordable housing and how it's defined you're still only taking care of truly middle income people like lower middle income people because it's a percentage of the average basically income in the area which in richmond we have kind of a higher income so you can you can really scrutinize that definition and like is that truly going to help but it would be something it's a step closer And so it frustrates me that that's been sitting there. But then, you know, there's other things where city council doesn't even necessarily have to pass a resolution requiring it. No, just do it. They could just, I don't know, not approve tax abatements. Right. And you could just say, hey, this isn't going to work because you don't have enough affordable housing units here it's right something that we like, need they could not approve special use permits so, like i'm not saying that salamonsi is going after tax abatements or anything like that in this moment but i'm sure at some point it's gonna need a permit things like this where like at the end of the day city council has power mm-hmm. that they don't use mm-hmm. and yeah most All recently in a recent finance committee they actually and, and so to be fair again finance committee means that it still has to go to council to be fully approved but the finance committee did pass and send to commit send to council with approval recommendation to approve a 4.5 million dollar tax abatement over 10 years which is like basically gifting it to a developer basically the conversation was like well they're really good at developing and like they're doing good stuff there are zero affordable housing units planned for this development that this developer is doing and this is separate from Luis Alamonti's thing. But right. point stands, it's things that would, Melissa just pointed out, we're to a place of almost a crisis. I think about where I've paid $1,000 for an apartment. And I can tell you, wouldn't be Richmond, Virginia. I paid $1,000 in northern New Jersey, just outside of New York City. There were still places available at $1,000. Northern Virginia, it was hard-pressed to find a one-bedroom for $1,500. But moving back to Richmond, I always expected 800 bucks mm-hmm. at most. Well, and... My take on this is, especially this is this development is in Scott's edition, where lots of developments are popping up, and these uh, they're not affordable. Right, I was about to say they are basically telling a certain set of Richmond residents that they're not welcome in this area. This area is not for you, people under a certain income level. So go somewhere else, but there's nowhere else to go. Unless you want to ride our pulse and drink our beer. There's nowhere else for them to go. The um, affordable RRHA housing right now is packed to the gills. They don't have vacancies. Where are people going? You're not, there's no developers right now are building affordable housing in Richmond. And this is just another rub because we're also giving more credence to this guy, this developer, who has a shady criminal past than we're giving to people who actually want to do good and want to build housing that anybody can live in. We're not, uh, you know, uplifting good developers. And, you know, I think there's a good time to plug the fact that, yeah, you know, there's good work being done with the Maggie Walker Land Trust. There's good work being done with BHC and I guess even RHA around the ideas of creating opportunities for home ownership. But not everybody wants to own a home. Not everybody is in a position to own a home. Not everybody will get to a position to own a home. 
there you can't just ignore affordable apartment housing affordable rental housing in favor of saying well everybody needs to be a homeowner Mm-mm. and right you need to stop treating renters like they're third class citizens they're not they have they have a say they should have a say they're citizens too they pay taxes too they go to work and live and you know enjoy their lives or not enjoy their lives if they can't find a place to live in richmond renters are kind of the heart of this city they are so can't nobody afford to buy no house in richmond no, you're, they're really getting priced out. Those folks who sit around and say, oh, gentrification isn't real or we're doing good things by pricing people out of the neighborhood. Get out. And like all that does is it, it, face. It, it creates <laughs> an opportunity. And this is where I also get very upset about it is because it creates it, it creates an environment where the increasing housing costs also increase your property taxes. Mm-hmm. And when you have increased property taxes, we've already seen where we've heard in different district meetings where the current property assessor is trying to get all of the city back up to actual like where they're supposed to be as far as market value goes. So basically they're telling us, hey, expect your property taxes mm-hmm. to be going up. Your property value specifically, not the property tax, but your property value, your property assessment will be going up. When you keep increasing, 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 and you're milking the tax base based on your assessments, but at the same time, you're giving abatements Mm -hmm. to developers that aren't adding to affordable housing, that specifically makes me really angry. Yeah. Do you know what really made me angry when, uh, oh, crap, I need to get this thought in though. Crap. I'll give you a continuance. Okay, thank you. Without objection. All right. (laughs) Chilbert's Rules of Order. What bothers the crap out of me is when I redid our home that we bought, and they said, oh, no, you can't get any tax abatement because you're not flipping it, because you're living in it. Yeah. I'm like, wait, don't you want people to fix these houses and no, ma'am. And populate these neighborhoods? No, they don't. They want HGTV crap to come in and flip away, and yep. then you give them all of the, you know, the developers and the, the flippers. Only, the... the only people eligible for tax abatements, and then also for historic tax credits, yep. are if you are a developer coming in to fix it up and then sell it. Well, no, no, no. You can use you can use them if it's as long as it's an income producing property right and i'm not going to be producing any income off of it i'm going to live my life in that neighborhood so what you're telling me is i need to go find a big old house and apply for historical tax credits and run my business downstairs and live upstairs and then i was actually about to suggest melissa could you have actually set up um an llc and then rented Rented to uh, like so rented from your LLC. From to, your LLC, yeah. Your LLC. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I'm just I was just finding just, a loophole. Hey, right you now. know what? I mean, look. I mean, I guess I should be shady too um, to get all the benefits that Richmond has to offer. Oh, 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 oh. That's the noise that people make when they're offended in all the movies that Annie rents. Anyway, I guess we can move on from this topic now. What's up next? All right. We'll do 10 minutes on y'all's pick on what we want to talk about first, Stone Brewing or West Hampton School. Oh, well, both of them are kind of along the same vein of making an agreement and then going back on it. So that's fun. I guess the quickest will probably be Stone. All right. So with Stone... If y'all have been paying attention to us, they want to rip down the intermediate terminal building, which in their original agreement, they said that they would renovate and turn into a, now get this, if you haven't heard it before, 700-seat bistro. Mm -hmm. Waterfront bistro. Waterfront bistro. When does it it stop? (laughs) Like, when do you go, how how do you become a bistro with 700 seats? (laughs) I don't know. That cracks me up. Anyway. 
they probably never really intended to honor that part of the deal. And now it looks like they're going to get their way because the state, the Virginia Department of Historical Resources, has deemed the building ineligible for the National Register of Historic Places. They don't think that it is historic enough because the accompanying buildings that used to be there have long been gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so go ahead and tear down. Go ahead and tear down the last bit of what the people in the neighborhood consider historic because it gave some of the older generations that were there first um, jobs where there weren't any before. And also this was a major place for, you know, the sugar trade. But that apparently doesn't mean squat. Nope. So tear it down. The mayor's office is behind tearing it down. They're fine with that happening. So I guess it's just going to happen. City council still has to approve it, but they're going to because they seem to like to cave Mm -hmm. to major corporations, which would lead us into the West Hampton School. (laughs) Well, before we go at, before we actually fully jump into major corporations, my main contention with Stone is actually the fact that it's a West Coast company that we're giving a bunch of benefits to. Mm -hmm. I would actually have a lot less of a problem if it was a local company that was coming in and wanted to do this. And you know what? All right. You know what? Fine. We want to talk about like what we can argue about if it is historic or isn't historic till the cows come home. At some point, you know, the benefits that do come from it of the jobs of whatever else it is. I just really don't like the idea of it going to somebody that we let an outside company come in and do this and give them huge incentives to come here and they don't have a proven track record of doing positive things for our community. I would oh. much rather like, like legend. Yeah. Which, who, maybe they don't want to open up a bistro. Fine. Whatever. But like, I just. Can they stop calling it a bistro? Like 700 bent, seats, man. But they, bent, they bent us over the barrel with this. And what's even more depressing is that, you know, if you look at, if you go back to our previous show where we had this on, um, we detailed that. But, you know, there were certain plans. There were plans that, you know, they wanted to do do this with the building and upgrade this and move this. But then they had to change the plan because the air conditioner wouldn't fit on the roof. And you had like this big, tall glass window and that wasn't going to take the weights. And they had to take them off the ground. But then they can't stay on the ground because it's like in a you know flood zone. So they had put them on the roof, but they won't fit on the roof because of the glass window. And it's like, have y'all ever renovated a building before? Right? Like, I know. Like they acted like you they never even looked at it before the deal was struck. You start like you started. You went and asked for this deal. And, and put your name on the dotted line and ask for the, and you you mean to tell me that you don't have skilled enough engineers that couldn't have looked at that building and been like my bad we're not gonna be able to pull this off bro maybe we should be um, blaming it on the survey consultant company Dutton and Associates from Midlothian I mean that that was the that was the part for me that was the most like for real but I think it goes back to again you're not a company that has a proven track record in Richmond that actually has a track record of being able to work within the confines of historic property yeah here you go people we don't even know here's some very sensitive property in a neighborhood that's been downtrodden for so long here just have it it's those people in that history in that neighborhood that get the short end of the stick again Yeah, there's actually one person that I've met that's, like, super excited about Stone Brewing. Who is that? The, the one whole person in Richmond? Well, I mean, Besides... they, don't, they don't live in Richmond. Oh. <laughs> like, no, I'm just saying the one person I've ever met. <laughs> it's it, it's someone that, like, I work with that lives up in, like, northern Virginia mm-hmm. that just moved here. So moved back here, originally from Nova, um, but just moved back from California because they really enjoy Stone Brewing out there. <laughs> 
No. Mm-mm. No, and take it back with them. you. Take it back to California. Introduce them to some of these other breweries we already have. We have a like lot that. of local breweries. <laughs> Go with them. When they said they were coming to Richmond and coming to Stone Brewing, okay. I, I looked at them like, I literally, they're like, oh my gosh, it's so awesome. Have you been there yet? And I'm like, no, I refuse to go out of principle. No, I know. When people say stone brewing to me now, I look at them like they just said cores. <laughs> ah. I don't think I've ever tasted it. It's just, it's just, it's such a, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth of yet another time. When, you don't even have to taste it. Yeah. Yet another time when, you know, this is a riverfront property. Mm-hmm. Oh my and gosh. And while on some level I'm at the place of just like. Oh, my... we didn't even talk about that. Wait, that's, that's the part that really gets me. They're going to practically give this to them for this like. Two ninety nine. What's the real price? <laughs> Two ninety nine. What's the real price? I don't Do you remember? Um, but essentially, in in business, in, in corporate business, like rehab prices, it's essentially two ninety nine. There you $2. go. Um, How much is it? The city agreed to give Stone twenty three million dollars in general obligation bonds to build a brewery and eight million to finance the construction of the restaurant. But the eight million is what Stone has got to pay back. Has got to pay back through their long term lease with the. EDA. There you go. And then in how many years is it they can resell it? Oh, gosh. Um, I I think it's, what, 25 years? 25 years. Waterfront property. And then they get it. They can resell it. They can buy it from the EDA for like $25,000, which is a drop in the bucket for this prime riverfront property that that's the what? that's the shortest end of the stick of all. And like my thing is, is that at this point, oh, I for what? me, like I'm not even sure that I'm at the place of. I'm not even so mad about where we're at right now with the terminal building. I am just still mad that this deal ever existed because it's right. not one that should have happened. No, we should have never got here. And but we're really good at that, Jesse. You I know. know, look at the Redskins. I know it's a great segue because that's also how I feel about the West Hampton School Building. <laughs> I'm already smashing my head into the Ooh. desk. I'm just going to call this the episode of anger. Yes. Jeez, I want to like, go fight someone. So, <laughs> and so um, where's a Nazi? Where's quick? a Nazi? We need to punch someone. Oh, my God. Something. <laughs> Not advocating punching. Maybe I am. I don't know. Anyways, um, maybe you should have that out. I totally advocate punching if you're punched first. <laughs> just don't tell them we sent you. Um, <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> the West Hampton School. So basically, um, I stayed up way too late one night listening to like 2012 <laughs> committee meetings. Mm. And where we're at right now is, let me actually start from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. It's a very good place to start. Cue Sound of Music. Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. What happened was, with part of the Redskins training camp deal, and this is a whole bunch of factors that all came into one and packaged all up once for one neat little plan project, whatever. I'm rubbing my frustrated little temples. Citywide That ended up getting pushed through city council in like four months, literally. Yeah. Yeah. So the original situation that I was listening to with this specifically, let's talk about the West Hampton School, is that the West Hampton School is this nice old building and Bon Secours ultimately wanted it. Mm -hmm. They weren't the only people that wanted it, though. There was also other people that had expressed interest in the property for just like a straight purchase situation. But even prior to the Redskins training camp portion of this, Bon Secours had expressed interest in the building. Yeah, we want it. So they want The building, though, was um, integral to the school integration process. Yes. It's a 1917 building, y'all. Bon Secours, though, it's right next to St. Mary's. So they wanted it. They're a growing company. And 
Originally, what was presented to council was that Bon Secours would expand the St. Mary's campus onto the property. There weren't any clear promises. They would basically say like, oh, we'll try to keep it. We're not really sure of what we want to use this facility for. Well, they wanted to build make a nursing school. Well, no, that came later. No, this is later. This is way later. later. So this is very, very beginning was they actually said they wanted to expand St. Mary's campus there. And they never actually said like they wanted to use office buildings. They were super, super vague before council approved this. And we'll do the best best that we can. can. But they hadn't even like made any promises. And what, Mm -hmm. what Bon Secours said, what the city CAO prior to Selena Cuffey Glenn said, guys, you should just approve this and you shouldn't worry about the school property because no matter what happens, you're, you're going to have SUP. to do an SUP for it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to come back with plans, which this is like a November 2012 meeting. They were supposed to come in in January 2013 with plans. Here we are. Please remember now in 2018, still talking about this. So in the meeting I was listening to, there's this whole back and forth where, yeah, there's other places where the administration said was said, hey, you know, there are other companies that are interested in this property, but they would just purchase this straight out. Whereas Bon Secours, this would be creating like 200 jobs. It brings one point whatever million dollars in um, annual salaries to people. You know, this is, well, look at the opportunity cost. While we're selling this for a cheap price, there's an opportunity that comes from this. And we should look at that instead. To build this area in the first district. And I... It was one of like three places that they were going to add health services. There was one in the East End, which did happen. There's also some stuff happening at the training camp area that apparently happened. (laughs) So fast forward, though, um, at some point they determine that instead of just expanding St. Mary's, and it was like a year and a half after this thing originally passed, that they actually wanted to save the building and put the nursing school there. So this would have actually probably been like late 2015, if I remember. So almost it two was. years um, okay. before it passed. Because I'm going to tell so, you exactly what they did. Go ahead. So this is when they decided to say, hey, we want to do a nursing school in this area. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to produce plans again in like a January time frame. Didn't happen. Mm-hmm. In summer 2016, they actually came back and said, all right, we're about to submit these plans. We want to have a community meeting and we want to have the plans submitted by September 2016. So the community meeting was going to be in August. They have this community meeting to get all this feedback on these plans and ideas of like, what do you want to see in this thing for the nursing school? Before we ever got to September, they came back and said, oh, building won't work. It's going to cost way too much money for us. It's going to cost, originally we had planned, like imagine it was like around 20-ish million dollars for it to Mm -hmm. become a nursing school. It's going to be over 40 million dollars. And that doesn't make any sense. So it would be easier for us to tear down the building and just start new. But what we're going to do is we're going to do new build in Hanover. In Hanover. But let me tell you what they did to this old building first. I drive past this building every day to take my son to school. They had two little people out there painting. This is a big building, y'all. Mm-hmm. They had two little people out there scraping that dead, peeling paint off of those windows. And they put a fresh coat of paint on half the windows. They put up new fencing around one side. Mm-hmm. They started replacing broken Glass, glass panes on the front. And I was like, man, this school's going to be nice. It's going to be nice. It's going to be real nice for the new nurses coming in. They painted half the building, and they were like, sorry, this not going to work. Half the building. Half of the building. And they're like, you know what? Nah, don't even worry about painting those those uh, those uh parking those parking spaces in the, in the back. We're not even going to use this. Nah, go ahead and stop painting, Leroy. Don't even paint nothing else. We good. So then... They determined, no, what we want to do is we want to tear it down and go back to the original idea of expanding 
St. Mary's campus. But we're going to take all those jobs that we promised you with, with that nursing school and all these other things and all. We're going to do that in Hanover. Sorry. So now we're back to the absolute original idea of expanding St. Mary's campus, which is still allegedly going to bring jobs. It's going to bring the original alleged 200 jobs to the area with however much salary. But what happened most recently at council was they rezoned the property. And so it's this back and forth where the first district councilman went through and he did solicit a lot of feedback from constituents about what you do and don't want to see at the property. And the determination was made that Bon Secours was saying, yeah, we have some people that want to develop it and we have some great ideas and we think that we could do the best that we can to preserve the building. But these people aren't willing to submit any ideas until they know they get the rezoning. Which is backwards. That's backwards. So now the one thing that council Council felt when they passed this that they always had as like their little chip, like their their trump card, so to speak, um, was the fact that they'd have to do an SUP. Now they don't need it. Now they don't need it because they've rezoned the property. So they can really, with B7, do a lot of different things. And they're not going to be required to actually maintain this building. the building there. No, um, but they'll endeavor. They'll endeavor yeah, to. They'll endeavor to save the right, the right angle corner of facade of whatever right but basically five out of nine council members gave bon secours carte blanche to do whatever they want with this property without having to submit detailed plans that would be required through an sup on faith we're doing it all on faith we should all just trust them because a few council folk trust them but then like what really just like gets me on this whole thing is this yet again you know now we've been here when we talk about like the whole idea of opportunity cost versus real cost it has now been where these these jobs were supposed to have been in place it's been five it's been six years since this whole thing started and we've gone six years without having the the increase of the jobs without having the benefit that were promised outside of just like the cost the real cost of the building and it again is another time where i feel like at this point this is a bad deal the city negotiated because the big place where they have us over the barrel is the fact that if you go back and you read the original documents bon secours can back out of the deal at any time if they don't get the zoning that they need Mm -hmm. so if at some point they say you know what even if we did do this sup process they could then back out and if they didn't get the right sup they could then say like well Let's wash our hands of this. We're done. Yeah, this uh, Bon Secours Redskins training camp deal is the gift that keeps on giving. So there's some place to me of just like, can you just bring the freaking jobs here already? And I'm very frustrated, not even with this council, but with the previous council for ever putting in place this kind of a deal because it is so ridiculous. Well, Council President Chris Hilbert was the deciding vote on this, and he says that it was the vote that he wishes he could take back that he regrets it the most and i'm like dude no you own this you absolutely own this you don't get a mulligan you can't walk this back the deal is the deal and we are screwed right like it's just it's so over and over and over again i said keeps on giving it's just it just makes me so mad like not even this rezoning really makes me mad just the fact that like now it's a place of just like well at this point just can we at least have the jobs like can we please because otherwise we're back at trying to sell it just do something yeah. <laughs> before we before we end, there's a subject that uh, I'd like to bring up briefly. Yeah. Um, the recent vandalization of the Robert E. Lee Monument. I just want everybody to know that in the past two years, we've spent sixteen thousand dollars cleaning up vandalism on these monuments, and so 
maybe we could save some money if we took them down. Or just stop cleaning them up. Just leave them like they are. I still think we should use them for like an art project. Like, I mean, this is an art project, right? Like the vandalism is an art project. Let them paint it. So I will say the Lee one, though, that's a state budget issue. Sure, it is. But I mean. But all the rest of them, the one where they they spray painted Jeff Davis statue, like all these others, those are city ones. And I'm just kind of like, can we just like let it happen? And just what happens with them happens with them because we're under no obligation to clean them up. No. No. And spending $16,000 when that $16,000 could maybe go to mold cleanup in one of our elementary schools. Or toilet paper. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> or maybe we could like hire someone to negotiate deals. How much does William Shatner cost? Yeah. <laughs> he could price line that mess. I still think William Shatner could have gotten a better deal from Bon Secours. <laughs> uh, yeah. You think? Nobody's going to disagree with you there. No. Uh, but look, you know, vandalism... We're not um, condoning art projects, though. But we are condoning art projects. <laughs> they just splashed it in like a couple places, like different colors. But I mean, even though the Rainbow. the Lee Monument belongs to the state, we still pay state taxes, and that means we're still paying to clean yeah. it up. I am and so impressed at how much paint they got, though. That is a lot of paint. <laughs> that had to be like an overhead aerial drop. I mean, it was a lot of paint. Oh, man. It was a lot. I mean, it sounds like a five gallon construction. It looks bucket. like it, Lee's horse just had its period. It's really bad. <laughs> I mean, you know, I almost I was wondering if it's like spray paint, though, almost because it, you don't see like the splat. I was about to get like super forensic. Like, yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Also, like my blood spatter backgrounds of the spray paint the that's there that says BLM. I want y'all to know that that is probably not this is probably not the work of Black not Lives a, Matter. Yes. So all y'all out there going, they're a terrorist hate group. You can just sit on down. Because they didn't do this. No, they didn't. It's not a tag. They were just making a statement. Have mercy. Multiple times. On us well, Next weekend, I do on like a serious note, um, is the anniversary of August 12th, which was the um, murder the, of Heather Heyer. The original Unite the Right rally, um, where we had polo shirt wearing, khaki pants wearing, white boys with tiki torches, um, screaming, the Jews will not replace us. Mm. Um, so it's a pretty heavy weekend yep, coming and that up was in Charlottesville. And if you didn't know, um, on August fourth, Saturday, there was another pretty big um, demonstration out in Portland, Oregon. And then on Sunday, August fifth, there is one that is actually in the Bay Area of uh, California, looking at like San Francisco, Oakland area. It's actually Berkeley. Um, and then on the 11th, there's one in Charlottesville. And then on the 12th, there's actually the official Unite the Right 2 in D.C. So, um, you know, for as much as it's funny and ridiculous when we have these people, the CSA 2 people, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous, um, coming out to protest our monuments, just also always keep in mind the very real death and hatred that threatens um, just in general America today. And just the absolute vitriol that comes with all of that and the danger that it puts many, many people in. Um, and this is not a situation of there's fine people on both sides. Right. Mm. No, let's stop this both sides mess and take this anniversary as a time to reflect and look in the mirror of who we are and who we've become as Americans. We are not the shining city on the hill that you know, Reagan proclaimed us to be. No, we need to stop putting up with this crazy stuff. Yeah, please stop putting up with it. If you see somebody 
perpetuating horrible racist activities. Call the police on them. Stop calling the police on, on black, black people, people that's just living. Stop doing that. Okay? I'm tired of that. No, call it out. Or be part of the problem. Flint still don't have clean water and RPS still is not fully funded. Silence is violence. What a great episode. Mad as hell. <laughs> mad as hell. <laughs> we will call this episode We Are Mad as Hell and We Are Not Gonna Take It Anymore. So We're like, not gonna take it. it. I've always really wanted someone to like redo that song for 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! And that'll do it for this week's episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. We hope you're feeling caught up on these particular issues. And if you have any you'd like to hear discussed by us, hit us up across all social media at RVA Dirt. Until next time, folks, stay classy. Richmond and stay informed.